Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have taught us this special word, Emmanuel. Father, we know it through the Christmas story because when they told Mary and Joseph that they would name him Jesus for he would save his people from their sins, they also said that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Father, there is no comfort outside of you and your presence. May we today know the peace and comfort that comes from having you. Oh Lord, lead us to this by faith from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. It's page 994. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the pew Bible there. That's the black, the black Bible there in the pews. John chapter 14, page 994. The four Sundays leading up to Christmas are called the Advent season, and we have uh, been lighting candles and, and doing a reading uh, with that, and we did love and joy and uh, hope, and, uh, and today's was peace, and peace is a big subject these days. I guess it always has been. Not so much because we know peace, but rather because we want peace. And today's candle is representing peace, and so the Christmas story has peace in it. And so today I want to preach to us on peace. We could turn to a lot of places in the Bible. You know, as a parent, it's really a cool thing to see how dependent our children are upon us makes you feel good, makes you feel uh, important, makes you feel needed. Now, all of us know that the older they get, the less that needs to be the case. But I'm referring to the little ones, like my three-year-old, Liliana. It's fascinating how much joy and energy and happiness she has when Val and I are around. And it's shocking or, or, or it's a teaching moment to see how uh, frozen or paralyzed or fearful she is when we're not. If she knows I'm right down the aisle, she'll run through the aisles at the grocery store up and down looking for things. She'll play hide and go seek. She'll go missing in the grocery store because she knows we're right there. But if we hide from her, she'll freak out. She'll get scared. She'll get worried, right? The difference is our presence. The Bible uses the very same thing, the very same language to teach us that our greatest comfort, that our peace is found in knowing God, being close to God. Emmanuel means God with us. And you don't have God until you have come to him by faith through the work of Christ. 
You don't have God until your sins have been forgiven, until you have believed. And so, no wonder there is such a lack of peace, both in our lives, in our souls, in our hearts, but also in our communities and in our world. Because we have so often valued something that does not give peace. We've sought and worked for peace in ways that do not bring peace. And so today I want us to look at that. One of the things that gives me great peace is just how strong of a church we have and how many of you all are a blessing to me. The encouragement that I find and uh, the faithfulness that I see in so many of you all. This past week I was talking to an, an older gentleman that does not go to our church And he was just sharing with me about his life, and he told me that several years ago, he started this kind of personal tradition. He said on Christmas Eve, once everybody goes to bed, and they're asleep, he goes back into the living room and makes sure the lights are still on on the tree, and he just sits there. If you've ever done that before, you know it can be quite peaceful, right? Sitting in the living room, TV off with the Christmas lights on the tree. And he says he's disciplined himself to do this every year now. He'll just sit there on Christmas Eve after everybody else is in bed and just think. He said he'll think about what the star on top of the tree means, what it represents. He said he'll think about the ornaments that he sees and recognize a few of them from when they made them or where they received them. He said if he, he, he's noticed that if he'll stop and just sit there and think by himself, alone, that God just starts to flood his mind with how much God has done for him. He says, you know, before everybody's in bed, it's the hustle and bustle. I don't think that way, he admitted. I don't think that way. So I've learned to put myself in position every Christmas Eve and, and just sit there in my house, alone, in the quiet, and think about all that God is doing in my life. And so I was doing that, thinking about our church. We have a lot of good, faithful people in our church, a lot of volunteers in our church that just make my life so much better, make my job enjoyable. You know about our staff. You do that pastor appreciation stuff during October, and all of us are thankful for that. You know about our deacons, you hear about them and see about them on a regular basis. They serve so well. And you know many others, but I wanted to name a few here at the beginning that I am so thankful for that I think you need to recognize. Erica Overstreet leads our finance team. On her own volunteer time, helps us and lead a team of people to make sure our finances are in order. Erica, thank you so much for serving well. Our church has no debt at all with a growing uh, amount of money, and we praise God for that. We want to steward it well, and Erica leads us in that direction. Samantha Beatty leads up the nursery. We have over 50 different people that serve and volunteer in the nursery. Thank you to all of you. But Samantha Beatty, on her own time, volunteering, uh, leads that up, plans that, organizes that, makes sure all of that goes well. And to a preacher, that is a really, really big deal because we have peace knowing that the kids are down there and they're safe and taken care of and you're able to sit here. Samantha, thank you so much for doing that. 
Gordon Hayworth. Is Gordon in here? Gordon's in the nursery. We have a ministry at the local nursing home, assisted living home, Symphony, um, over there kind of in the Valley area near Valley High School. Uh, We go there every other Wednesday night all year long. We were there this past Wednesday, took our entire eKids group, and they sang and, and interacted with the people That happens all the time. We're always there. We have different people speaking, different songs, different events, and Gordon leads up every bit of that. Not only Gordon doing that, but Miss Pat Dennis, who's who's there right there sitting in the sitting in the aisle. Miss Pat goes every single time and plays the piano and leads the music, and she is a rich, rich, rich blessing to the people there. I was talking to her about that this morning, telling her thank you, and she said, No, I love those people and I'm glad to go. What a small way to contribute that is a huge way to contribute. Miss Pat, thank you so much for serving well. Paul Lybrick, I don't think Paul's here, but Paul comes up here what seems to be every day and just tidies up whatever needs to be tidied up. He picks up leaves, he mows grass, he takes out trash, he does anything he can, and I'm so thankful for him. When a tree falls, he takes care of it. When limbs are down, he takes care of it. When something's going wrong, he's taking care of it, and I appreciate that. Miss Becky McBroom and Miss Betty Williams working in our kitchen. By now, you probably know that we do so much around food here at our church. Just between the high school football and soccer teams, just this fall, from August to November, our church, with our money, fed over 1,000 mouths, all by volunteers. Miss Becky, Miss Betty, thank you so much. That doesn't even get to the fact that our church does dinner here every other week all year long. It doesn't speak to when we help with the funeral. It doesn't speak to when we help with a, with a shower or when we're just trying to help people. It doesn't speak to all the meals that we've uh, helped with people who have a baby or uh, somebody that's sick and we provide meals. Not even speaking to that. Just sports meals this fall, over 1,000 mouths fed. Thank you all so much. A couple years ago, we started Dare to Care Ministry. Tish Harden and Erlene Hayworth lead that up. Every single Wednesday from 3 to 6, our church has Dare to Care, and anywhere from 30 to 60 families arrive here to receive a full load of groceries. If you've never been around on a Wednesday afternoon, that is a huge, huge effort. It really is. And there are many, many volunteers that go with that. I have calculated that Miss Tish alone, listen to me, just this year with Dare to Care has volunteered anywhere from 400 to 500 hours here at church for Dare to Care. That's a lot. That's a lot. So that families are fed so that needy people are, are, are loved on, so that our church is able to do a small part of extending our arm. Those are just a few examples, and if we wanted to, we could go further and further. Nearly all of you are serving in some capacity. I'm so thankful for our staff and leaders and thankful for our, our deacons, but our church is full of people that are working hard and contributing. I want to encourage you to create more and more of a culture of of being thankful, and I want to encourage you to be uh, eager, if you're able, in that 
in that environment to get in and fit in as well. Find a way to serve and volunteer. There are lots to do. And I wanted here at the last Sunday before Christmas to bring that up and thank you. Thank all of you for the way that you contribute, but especially to those that are leading up those areas. It gives your pastor great peace knowing that not all of it is on my shoulders. I have a church full of people that like to volunteer. So now back to John chapter 14. And Jesus brings peace. By now you probably know that the Christmas story is found in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapters 1 and 2. To get the whole Christmas story and understand it well, you have to read both of those Gospels. Okay, You have to know both. So like when the angel comes to Joseph, that's in Matthew. But when the angel comes to Mary, that's in Luke. Right? When the shepherds are told, that's in Luke. But when the genealogy explains the line, that's in Matthew. All right? So you take the different, um, the different gospels and you put it all together and you get the full story. Well, it's in the shepherd's story, which I've mentioned before. It's in the shepherd's story where as soon as Jesus is born, the first people God tells are the shepherds. It's a fascinating part of the story that that's who he would tell first. He didn't call the local press and make sure that everybody knew. He went to the shepherds for whatever reason, and he told them. And he told them by way of an angel in the sky telling them that Jesus had been born. And then it says there was a heavenly host. There were so many angels singing out glory to God in the highest, right? You're familiar with that. Surely you know that part. Glory to God in the highest. But you know what it says after that? Glory to God in the highest. Peace. Peace on earth. And that phrase is a popular one, right? It's fascinating to me that so many people like Christmas, but not many people like Christ. Something's not right about that. So many people like Christmas, but not as many people like Christ. It's like we're wanting the benefits of something without getting the substance of something, right? It's like, I want, uh, it's, it's, it's like you're dating and you want all the, the benefits that you get from marriage, but you're not ready to man up and be a husband. Something's not right about that, right? Surely we know. There's more that comes than just the benefits. And shame on any of us that want to benefit from Christmas without Christ. And they say, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. And this phrase, peace on earth, has been done that same way too. We hear peace on earth all over the place. But that was a message that the angels sang from the sky because Jesus had been born. But the phrase is not just peace on earth. The phrase is peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased, among those with whom God loves, or among those who know God. That's the phrase, but that part is always left out. Because we wish so very badly that just the uh, historical fact of God coming to earth and being born creates peace everywhere. We wish so badly that that's how it works, but that's not how it works. It's not. It is true that Jesus being born brings peace, but it's also true that our world is full of relationships and places and situations where there is not peace. 
And that's not even a stretch. You all agree without even me asking you that you agree. And so if Jesus brings peace, where does he bring peace? To what extent did he bring peace? And let's just say, don't even go there that Jesus was supposed to bring peace, but he wasn't able. Or the angel said peace on earth, but it didn't work. For all the skeptics that want to go that way, they have taken the phrase peace on earth and they've separated away from what comes next among those with whom God is pleased and they've hijacked what God is doing in bringing peace. And so today I want you to understand what God means with peace. Jesus is the ultimate peace giver, peace bringer. But the peace is only found in knowing him, having a relationship with him. Peace is only found when you realize where the biggest need for peace is. I don't know how many enemies you have this morning. And I don't know to what level you are lacking peace or needing peace here today. Some of you may be a nervous wreck over the idea of peace. Some of you may be at wit's end right now and you're scared to see somebody later today because there's so much friction and so much drama. Some of you maybe not, I don't know. But I want you to understand here today, contrary to what most anybody else is telling you, your biggest need for peace is not with others, but with God. Your vertical friction is worse than any other friction. Your need to have peace with God is so much bigger than everything else. It's the most important thing. And the Bible then will teach us that if this starts creating peace in your heart and life, then peace may start coming this way. But just working on the the horizontal peace, meaning peace with people, peace in relationships, peace in the world, peace on earth, just working on that without giving first priority to this vertical peace is a waste of time and energy. And we've got thousands of years of it being crystal clear. Buddhism being led by Buddha, or the way some say it, the Buddha, says peace is not found outside of yourselves. Peace is found inside of you. That is wrong. That is wrong. There are so few people who have found peace within themselves we are living in a time where more people than not are Anxiety are struggling with anxiety and worked up. We are living in a time where more people than not are unhappy as opposed to being happy. We are living in a time where more people than not would rather be alone than be around other people. We're living in a time where you will hear on a regular basis people saying, I don't, leave, I don't like people, and I don't like to be around people. We are so far from having peace, and we're not sure where to find it, and so we've got all types of people trying to tell us where to find peace, and we're not finding it. The rare few people that 
take Buddha's advice and try to find it in themselves have to withdraw from everything. It's not working. Peace is found when we look to the God that gives peace. And starting there, can we then have some peaceful relationships? In John chapter 14, Jesus teaches us this. John's gospel is possibly the best book in the New Testament. John's gospel is so thorough in explaining to us the person and work of Christ, understanding who he is, why he came, and what he's doing. This particular section of John's gospel, chapters 14, 15, and 16, are explaining to us concepts about our lives. And I want to show you this. John chapter 14 begins like this. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know that passage, right? It's the one that's quoted so often at funerals. Believe in God, believe in also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that i go to prepare a place for you? You know that one. You hear it at funerals a lot. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. Nobody knows God unless they know Jesus. It is plain in the word of God that that is the case. You may know some things about God. You may know of God. You may know some godly thoughts or some godly characteristics, but in a peaceful, life-changing, soul-satisfying position in life only comes through a relationship with God Almighty, God the Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, who washes away and forgives all of our sins. Jesus is starting to explain this. As you move through chapter 14, Jesus introduces the idea of the coming of the Holy Spirit. It is not until Jesus leaves that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of people. That happens just as soon as the book of Acts begins. The gospels end with Jesus leaving, and the book of Acts picks up right after that. Jesus is gone, so he sends the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about in chapter 14. If you look at verse 18 of chapter 14, it says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And he's talking more and more about he's leaving, he's coming, they're going to see him, they're not going to see him, later they're going to see him. And you get up here to verse 25, Jesus says, I'm at chapter 14, verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, so Jesus here calls the Holy Spirit the helper, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now notice right here, verse 26, all this Trinitarian talk. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming to help us because the Father will send him in Jesus' name. You know, the Bible doesn't teach us the word Trinity. 
But the Bible explains in so many ways that God the Father is God, that God the Son is God, that God the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible describes that those three persons are the one God. And it's passages like this that show the three of them being the same but different, working together, doing different things, all pushing and exalting each other. So, verse 26 again The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in Jesus' name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now look at verse 27, and this is where we'll stay. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 1427, Jesus is going to now impart peace to his people. But he's going to give peace to his people in a way that is not the way you think peace would come about. It is true that the efforts of the world, of different people, or different organizations, or governments, or, or even religions... The effort to create peace is not the way that God brings peace. It's not the same thing. We can try to be peaceful, like not hurt somebody's feelings, but we're not very good at that. No matter what you say, somebody's feelings are going to be hurt. God is here imparting peace in a way that nobody else knows how to do. God is not saying just love everybody and everything will be peaceful. God is not saying just give gifts and everything will be peaceful. That is not God's main message. God has those messages, but not as his main message. This is where Christianity is so much different than different religions. All religions have good advice, right? All religions have good advice. Man, there's some good stuff that you can take from anything. I got lots of atheist friends who are good people. They've got good advice. Hey, keep your head up. That's great advice. I try to keep my head up every day. I was so stoked to watch North Carolina play UK last night. And it's hard to keep your head up when you're a North Carolina fan today. But I try to keep my head up. But you and I all know none of us keeps our head up all the time. So it doesn't work. Christianity rises above all good advice. And it says that by a supernatural, spiritual power, God himself will impart peace to us. Totally, completely apart and foreign and alien from the way we are treating each other. God will bring a peace to us. Outside of the earth, peace will come to us through the power of God. That's what Jesus is explaining. He's going to leave. And when he leaves, he will send the helper. The Father will send the helper in Jesus' name, will send the helper to us, and the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of us. So, here's the truth. There are two types of people in the world. There are those that know Jesus, and there are those that don't. And out of the two types of people in the world, right, those that know Jesus and those that don't, 
They are our people that have the Holy Spirit. Those are the ones that know Jesus. And the people that don't know Jesus don't have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying here that it is those who've come to know Jesus who now have peace. So remember what the angels announced in Luke chapter 2? <clears throat> Glory to God in the highest and peace on, those, peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. The peace is not found just on earth. And the peace is not found just because Christ was born. The peace is found in those who have come to know God by the Holy Spirit's power. God gives peace to people in a way that no one or nothing else can. That's why you see phrases like, no Jesus, N-O, no peace, N-O. Or K-N-O-W, Jesus, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace. No Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, right? That's why you hear phrases like, God's not going to give us peace in our circumstances. God's going to give us peace inside of us regardless of our circumstances. And there are way big differences between those things. That's why we stay stressed out trying to control our settings and our environment. That's why I hear so many people say they want to go to move to Oldham County and go to school there so they don't have to deal with this or deal with that. And I think to myself, keep searching for peace. You're not going to find it. I don't care where you go to school or what you're trying to do or what changes you're trying to make to create peace in your own little world. You're not going to find it. Some of the most Christian people I know are a train wreck on the inside and they're trying to do every single thing they can do right because peace is not found here. Peace is found here. And God supernaturally gives it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The helper is a real person that comes to live inside of us and peace happens inside of us. And that changes everything. And nobody else has anything like that. Telling me that I need to pray more or give more or love more or be kind more or meditate more or live in isolation more or be around people more that will give me peace is the most frustrating thing in the world. What seems to be peaceful for me sounds like a nightmare for somebody else and what sounds to be peaceful to you seems to be so boring to me. Right? Some people like going, to, going to, to the beach and sitting there, and some people hate the sand, right? Some people like going to the mountains, and some people hate the cold, and some people like to get alone and sit all by themselves in their Christmas tree, and some people were sitting there going, I don't want to do that, right? All of our efforts in the whole world to make ourselves peaceful will not work. But God gives peace. He gives peace. In our passage that we read in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, he says, do not be anxious. And the peace of God, he doesn't just say peace, right? This notion of peace in and of itself is so fleeting. It's like, I'm trying to be peaceful, but he says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. There was an African-American preacher. He's passed away now named E.V. Hill. And he tells a classic story that happened while he was a pastor. He said that he had gone to visit Mrs. Birdsong in the hospital. She had not been doing well. Mrs. Birdsong, 
uh, a part of his congregation. He went to visit her in the hospital, took a fellow with him, and they were visiting together and had a really nice visit and talked to her about the Lord and read some, read some scripture. And after that, they tried to comfort her and they said, well, can we have a prayer together? And she said, no, pastor, do not pray with me. He said, I'm sorry? She said, no, do not pray with me. I don't want your prayers. He said, Mr. Birdsong, we had such a good visit. What do you mean? I, you know I like to pray with you, and you, you've often found my prayers helpful and comforting. I'm just going to ask, ask God. She said, Pastor, stop. I don't want you to pray for me. Pastor Evie Hill looks around at his fellow, and he's thinking, well, I don't know what's going on here. I've never really had this happen. Nobody usually uh, declines prayer. He said, Miss Birdsong, why don't you want me to pray? She said, look, my life's almost over. My health's fading, and I'm not worried. You're going to pray for God to heal me, and I don't want to be healed here. She said, I've been healed so much on the inside, and I've got so much peace with God. You're going to try to pray to keep me here longer, and I don't want to be here any longer. I'm ready if he wants to take me. She said, you know how many, how many people have been in this hospital room, and they've been praying for God to make me better, and I don't want God to answer your prayer? So if you're about to pray for God to make me better, don't pray for me. Pastor Evie Hill said, she had peace. Peace with God. Peace with God. We get so worried about those things that she was not worried about. If the promises of God are true, then only thing that could happen to her was that it was going to get better for her. And yet our worries or concerns or thoughts were getting in the way of that. Jesus says here that God Almighty will send a helper named the Holy Spirit and he will come to live inside of you and he will give you peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He says, not as the world gives do I give it to you. This is not the way you would think peace works. It is supernatural. It is from God, a gift of God. Look what it says next though. It's common throughout the scriptures. Two things, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And this is kind of us. Trouble speaks to, we don't necessarily have a problem yet, but we're thinking we're about to have one. We don't necessarily have anything going wrong, but we're thinking one's about to come up, right? I'm not out of gas, but what if I run out of gas, right? It's not raining, but what if it does? What if they show up? Right? We, we can create problems in our minds. You've all heard that the majority of things we worry about never come to pass, right? Jesus says over and over again, let not your hearts be troubled. This is how he began chapter 14. I showed you that in verse 1. But he says it here, and then he says, let, let, let yourself not be afraid. Fear takes worry a step further. It's like once the problem has been made into something physical, now we're scared. Did you know that this is... Quite possibly the most common phrase found in the Bible. Nearly 400 times in the word of God, God says, do not be afraid. Nearly 400 times. Because we're afraid. We're afraid of so very much. 
And Jesus is here saying to us that the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, overpowering our troubles and overpowering our fears, is this thing called the Holy Spirit, a true person that now lives inside of us that brings peace, God's peace, that brings peace, Jesus' peace. It brings that to us. And there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is why the song has become so popular that hits the nail on the head that I will praise you in the storm. Because there is such a thing as that. There is such a thing as having peace in the midst of what should not be peaceful. This is the reality that God wants us to live in. In chapter 15, let's stay right here in in the Gospel of John. In chapter 15, Jesus goes into one of his I am statements about him being the true vine. We're the branches, and apart from him, we can do nothing. If the branch is not connected to the source of the vine, then nothing can happen. But then he transitions into uh, the hatred of the world. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will also, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus is speaking of the challenges of living in this world, particularly the challenges of living in this world as a believer. But look now at verse 26. But, okay, listen. Even though life is hard, even though life is ugly, even though life hurts, even though life is full of troubles, and even though life is full of fears, God has an answer, a solution that the world does not have. He has a helper, the Holy Spirit, that brings peace. We're being challenged here today. Are we going to believe God or are we not? So in the midst of saying, they hate me, they'll hate you. Uh, They persecuted me, they persecuted you. They didn't accept my word, they won't accept your word. In the midst of him creating this ugly, ugly scene called life, he says this in verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus seems to think, yes, until we get to heaven, we're going to have all sorts of trouble. But guess what? The helper, the Holy Spirit, will give you peace in that trouble. Chapter 16, verse 1. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, listen to this, will think he is offering service to God. Y'all, there's a whole world of people out there thinking they know God that do not know God. Jesus says it. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus expects us to have peace where the world would think there is no peace. But we have it. Verse Keep going. Verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, look at verse 7. If you don't know verse 7, you need to know verse 7. Highlight, underline. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is here teaching what people who have not studied the Bible don't get. It's not the birth of Christ at Christmas that brings peace. It's the presence of God in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit that gives peace. Don't get that wrong. Just because he was born doesn't mean peace on earth. Because people believe him to be the Savior who died on the cross for their sins, that gives peace. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased, it says in Luke 2. And so Jesus here says, me leaving will be good for you. It will be advantageous to you for Jesus Christ to leave earth. Who would have thought? Nobody but a believer in the power of God and the resurrection of a crucified Christ understands that. Nobody does. Nobody gets that, except for those who've come to know Jesus. Because Jesus being around us in our presence is not the same thing as God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us. What Jesus was saying is, when I die on the cross, and I'm buried in the grave, and I rise again, and then I ascend up into heaven, once I leave earth, the Father, in Jesus' name, will send the Holy Spirit to live inside of believers, which he's done. And that is where peace is found. Do not misunderstand God. This is why we study the Bible. This is why we spend so much time doing this. You're trying to think about God in ways that God has not presented himself. You're trying to think about ways about God that are not true. Peace is found in the lives of those who understand God Almighty loves them. He sent his son to die for them. Their sins are forgiven because they trust in the great love of God. The gospel message says, don't have to do more. Don't have to be better. Don't have to fix yourself. Trust in the completed, finished work of Christ, the Holy Son of God that died for you. Jesus Christ coming to us as a baby, grew up, never sinned, was crucified on the cross so that we could have peace with God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says that Christ made peace by the blood of his cross. And so the truth is, anybody that believes that receives the Holy Spirit and has peace. Chapter 16, he keeps going. He's still explaining things. Look over to verse 25 and we get to the very end. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. Remember I told you 14, 15, and 16 go together. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech. We'll, we'll tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. If you're looking for a short little verse that doesn't complicate things, 1628. God loves you because you believe in Jesus. Do you see that? God loves you. Sorry, 27. Sorry, 27. The Father himself loves you because you love Jesus and have believed that I came from from God, Jesus says. Verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus is now describing, predicting exactly what's about to happen. Remember, this is pre-cross, pre-rejection, pre-trial. This is all before it happens. Of course, Jesus knows it was the plan from the beginning. 
The birth was planned. The cross was planned. The resurrection was planned. Verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you'll be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Look at verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Peace is only found in Christ. Then he comforts them again with the reality of the world we live in. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The Bible does not teach for us to remove ourselves from the lost and sinful, hurting world. It doesn't. The Bible teaches that wherever we find ourselves, a relationship with God through Christ brings peace. May you know the truth of God. May you know what Jesus himself teaches. Christmas alone is not giving peace on earth. Christmas is telling us that God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave him to earth. He took on flesh. He lived. He treated people well. He taught. He, he did all that he did. And then he died for us. Why? So that we could have peace with God. Just the other day, my little son Noah said, Dad, if you think about it, Christmas might be more important than Easter. And so that's a good theological question. So I started thinking and I said, well, why do you say that? I said, well, if Jesus was never born, he never could have died. And if he never was born, he never could have died and never could have rose from the grave. It's a pretty good thought. It's good reasoning. I said, yeah, that means both are really important. We don't really want to say either is more important. But that's good thinking. At Christmas time, we need to love the manger story. We need to know what the angels said. We need to know what were the songs they were singing. Glory to God in the highest and Peace on earth among those that believe. Because peace is found there. In all our efforts to create peace or be more peaceful, may you remember that before we ever offer peace this way, we got to find peace this way. If you're here today and you know that you're searching for peace, would you consider that it starts first between you and God? Would we admit that so much of our peace issues this way are because we've not first looked this way? Jesus says in John 14, 27, my peace I give to you. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a Sunday morning here at Christmas where we consider peace. Father, lead us now to embrace you and receive the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.